Hi, and welcome to episode four of Can I Take My Mask Off, a podcast that explores individual experiences navigating the pandemic. I'm your host, Valerie, and in this episode, I'm joined by my childhood friend, Anson, and we divulge our opinions of working from home, the 40-hour work week, and how the pandemic has impacted meeting people online or organically. Tune in for an interesting parallel that Anson draws between meeting people online and groceries. Without further ado, here is episode four. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Anson. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Valerie. Hello, FIFO. Hello, world. I'm Anson. I've known Valerie since the second grade. Uh, What's like what now? Like, I think it's 20 years now, because I was talking to my neighbor yesterday, and I was saying, like, I've known him for like 20 years or something. So like 20 years or something. I I was friends with you or well I wasn't friends with you because at first you bullied me but then we became yes, I'm a, then, I was a total tyrant for sure you still tyranted me in grade seven but then we were friends after that I think so I think we started becoming like really good friends after high school like we had hung out and like you know we were in the same homeroom and same program together um but we didn't necessarily like click a lot in high school and I feel like it was after high school that like our friendship really developed correct me if I'm wrong that that's kind of my interpretation of things roughly but still I've known you for like 20 years I don't think anyone outside of your family or like yeah outside of your family uh closer distant has known yeah. you as long as I have I think yeah. I can I think I can safely claim that title I would probably say you're like yeah you've known me the longest out of any friend in my in my immediate circle you've known me for the longest for sure i am very happy to know that (laughs) that record's not gonna get broken anytime soon yeah like how often can you say somebody's known you for 20 years when you're in your 20s right um well apparently once in this lifetime once in this lifetime yes um so i invited you here today uh because you are a good friend of mine and i thought that it would be great to have a conversation with you about your experience during the pandemic so why don't you tell us a little bit about what life has been like for you during the pandemic you know generally or with great detail your choice i think the pandemic was mixed because there's some positives there's some negatives and then there's Mm -hmm. some I don't really know if it's good or if it's bad I think obviously at first one of the great things that came out of it was work from home I'm sure like (laughs) like many other people you started working from home and I really really liked working from home too but I won't even say it's a full positive It's, it's more like in the middle for me I was one of those guys who would work pretty efficiently and stuff but that meant that I didn't I had too much time on my hands Mm-hmm. I'd be like in the middle of the day I go and sleep in my bed for like an hour or something during work <laughs> and then like I come back and then like I, I find everything's on fire and like I'm not really good at controlling that but I mean no but seriously like I mean working from home is kind of weird you don't you can't really talk to people you find yeah. out that's actually harder to communicate yeah. um via IM and whatnot so that was a pretty troubling experience well not troubling but not it was a per- imperfect experience yeah there's some ups there's some downs but even after adjusting, it wasn't like, oh, work from home is as great as I thought. I mean, sleeping in and then turning on a computer, like that's probably the best part of it. So that was my experience with it. And then um, 
you and I live like very far away from each other now. Yeah. So like the first time after March I saw you was what was it? Was it December? I didn't see you till December, I think. Yeah, but like we live far apart from each other, but like we still both live in the lower mainland. Yeah. But <laughs> the, the, po- that. the point me and you not seeing each other for like almost a year that's like an encapsulation of most uh relationships or friendships I had with other Mm -hmm. people in the sense that yeah we might be sort of close but do we really want to go out right now do we really want to go hang out and do something like I think I can fairly say I've only saw one person like during the whole pandemic Mm -hmm. and that's a little strange because I'm sure most people understand too that uh, it's a little difficult to stay in your home a lot of time or just go out and only do these things by yourself. It's mm-hmm. not really what we've developed as a species. We're kind of reliant on other people as well. Yeah. Be it friends or be it girlfriends, boyfriends, wives, husbands, etc. Yeah. So that was the weird thing. That was weird for me too. That's probably like the two biggest standouts for me. It was kind of like work from home wasn't cool as I thought it'd be. And, you know, don't get to see awesome people like you as often. Aw, that's sweet. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it, like, being physically alone, because, you know, thinking about working from home, like, you're, you're totally right about the fact that, like, you don't just get to have those little micro conversations with people, and it's harder to build relationships with one another, because your, um, your interaction with them is so limited. So, I like personally what I found was that um, like I started a new job during the pandemic like right at the beginning I, I jumped into a new role and I found that I was pretty hesitant to approach people um, you know specifically co-workers I was pretty hesitant to approach people and like initiate contact with them because I did feel like um, you know there was that digital divide where you know uh, everybody's working from home and you don't necessarily know what other people is, are, are doing versus, um, you know, if you're there with them in person, you can kind of just like pop into their office and like, you can physically see, you can visually see like what they're doing, right. Versus like when you're working from home, you can kind of just see what's in their outlook calendar. So what was that experience like for you? Because you've had a couple of like job transitions during this time as well. Like, how did you navigate that, um, I guess, inability to be physically present with people, um, specifically at work? It was strange for me because when I started the pandemic, I had one of those like fancy team lead titles at the job I was at. So I kind of had to oversee a group of people and obviously transitioning from fully physical to digital, you kind of run into bugs and issues that you hadn't anticipated. Mm -hmm. And then when you have those issues, you kind of need to let everyone else on your team know to try to pivot and fix those issues. I like, I, like I was kind of joking earlier, like I wasn't the greatest. Like sometimes I would go missing for like half an hour or so because I was lying in my bed, watching videos or taking a nap or whatever. Like (laughs) that's not great. Right. But um, yeah, I definitely, do know what it's like when other people are on the, when I'm on the receiving side of it. Cause I do know like a couple of coworkers that I had at the time in various positions. Like I would try to message them, try to figure stuff out and they wouldn't respond away right away. And it's like a mix of they're super busy as well because they're trying to firefight their own stuff or um, there is that flexibility where work from home where you can kind of get out of your desk and you can maybe go outside for a bit if you need it or if you need to run an errand. Right. Because 
some people do just try to work those hours cumulatively, mm -hmm. not um, in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. So it was weird at times because you couldn't find someone or you couldn't get an answer. That was relatively strange. And yeah, that, that made it difficult too. I also had a new boss come in and I think it was detrimental for him because he struggled very hard to learn what everyone was doing. And I don't even think he still knows what most people do. And that's, that's just a side effect of not being around people physically, not being able to physically see what people do at the desk mm -hmm. and being able to talk and interact with them. Because I know like my previous boss at that company, they, he took the time to go around and sit down with people and watch how every task was done. Like, obviously mm -hmm. that's like a different level of dedication that some people might not have. Some bosses might be more hands-on, some people might be more hands-on, but if you don't have that opportunity to have that interaction, then that's really hard to uh, to fill yourself in on the gaps. And I think then, I mean, I, that was my first job. I had three, I've had three jobs during this pandemic. My second job during the pandemic, I jumped to a brand new company. It was a completely new role where I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And it is really, really hard learning something that you've never done before. Mm -hmm. Just technically, there are so many nuances and there are so many factors that you hadn't thought about. Um, just because you're not sitting next to someone, you might have those questions where you click a button and then there's a screen that pops up and it's different from what you were shown. You kind of get nervous and you might want to ask, but then you have to go through the whole hoopla of, I need to call my supervisor, I need to call my team lead now and show them what's going on. And mm -hmm. you're right about being nervous about reaching out to people because I definitely felt nervous too, asking people like, hey, can I have like a couple of minutes for you to look at this issue I'm having? Whereas before you would just have them come over to your desk, like they walk like what, 10 steps over and look at it like, <laughs> no, that's fine. And then they walk 10 steps back. But now it's like, oh, I will call you back. Give me five minutes to finish this call I'm currently at. Or, um, yeah, let's do this call. Oh, wait, I forgot to show you this other thing. So let's transition to this other thing. And suddenly your short inquiry becomes a half hour long conversation about something that wasn't entirely relevant to what you're asking in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember like having so many different questions that would come up along the way. And um, like the way that it was set up for me in the beginning in my job um, was that I had a coworker who would shadow me or I would shadow that coworker. And like, we would meet um, every couple of days for me to ask questions. And like, you know, when, when we would have those meetings, like it would literally just be like me talking, like asking question after question after question, because I had just like stockpiled so many things that I was curious about and so many things I didn't quite understand yet. And as patient as like my coworkers were, and they were so gracious and so forthcoming with the information, I couldn't help but feel like, am I bothering you? Like, could you could probably be doing something better, but like, you're doing this for my sake. And like, that was hard to like, accept that like, hey, like in order for you to get to a position where you don't have to ask them a lot of questions and you can do your job independently, you kind of have to bother them at this stage and, and be like, and, and be curious, um, unfortunately, as, as, um, difficult as it is to admit what you don't know. <laughs> um, so I had a question for you, um, which kind of leads into like what you shared about being a team lead. Um, so, you know, as a team lead, you know, you're overseeing other people. Did you ever feel like, um, like, what was that experience like for you? Were you nervous 
leading people in this type of setting? Did you feel like you, did you feel very confident about it? Like what was your, your take on that? I think I was in the rare position where I had a boss that was too hands off, but was also too controlling at the same time. They, they didn't really, I didn't really mesh with the immediate supervisor I had at that time because their ideals were different from mine and we kind of clashed. But then I got, got kind of got lucky with the pandemic because then they ended up deciding to step back because they didn't want to work in that environment. So then my my role as a team lead was I got to dictate everything I wanted to do for my team. I got to change everything that I wanted to do. I got to do the transition from physical to digital. So, I mean, that was awesome for me because I did everything I wanted to do and mm-hmm. I had wanted to change those things. So it's it's for me, I can definitely say it was positive, but for other people, it's probably a negative because uh, you gotta, if you haven't been thinking about the changes for a while, if you haven't been thinking about how to streamline or improve things, then you're suddenly, suddenly have this new project where you gotta move everything from one method to another method. And depending on how many hands touch your workload, um, you might have more people than expected. I had one task in particular where like six different people had to get involved at different points, right? Mm. So streamlining that down like i managed to get that down to like about three or four people so that's two people getting cut out completely or two steps getting cut out completely right mm-hmm. and because i just kept the essentials everyone just kind of agreed and looked at it and said yeah that's fine there wasn't really any arguments but if you have like a multi-step thing where you gotta cut it you need to cut it down because some people aren't in the office anymore some people don't have the time to read it online then yeah that's really tricky mm-hmm. um I would say like it probably wasn't fun for people being team leads. I I got the feeling from my own companies that people in higher positions quit more often than people in the support roles, mm-hmm. just because it's probably a really tiring to fix everything, and then realize something backfired and I you need to fix this new mistake that came up because you hadn't foreseen this sudden issue. Yeah, I think um, the pandemic brought about this advent. Uh, of like this requirement to shift everything that you were doing from, you know, paper-based, you know, physical presence-based activities to digital. And it, it sounds to me like you had a pretty like fun go at it because you finally got to make some changes that you had been wanting to do for a while. Um, but it's also kind of like challenging and exciting at the same time that like you were at the forefront of like trying to transition everything so that people could work from home safely so what was that experience like for you I think it was really fulfilling at first because I had made all these plans ahead of time all these because I've the job I had it was super paper intensive and the director I was working with um they had agreed that they really wanted to cut down the environmental waste because they had talked to another manager about it and that manager also agreed. Yeah. And I was kind of like, yeah, why are we, why do we have this much waste anyway? A lot of the plans I had were, I want to cut down environmental waste because like, why do I need this much paper in the office? I can mm-hmm. get by with a lot less paper. So mm-hmm. those steps were, were good, but then you still run into the issue where, um, like I was saying, you might realize an issue suddenly comes up where you didn't anticipate it. I think the one I had was, for getting legal documents signed, I had came up with a process on how to do it, but I forgot about the part where, or I didn't realize there was the issue where all the managers that we needed to, to get to sign forms, they didn't work in the office anymore. So mm. now I got to pivot. I got to work with my supervisor and say, 
well, we need these forms signed because we can't legally do anything without their signature. So how do we get around that? And I mean, we drew a few other people in and asked for their advice. And eventually we did come up with a solution where it worked out and where legally all the people, all the bodies involved were like, yeah, that's fine. We can do it this way. But that's the kind of thing where you can't really anticipate it. I didn't anticipate all the managers suddenly stopped coming to the office. Mm. I, I I couldn't anticipate that uh, we lost one of the printers before efficiency's sake, right? So it kind of made work a little bit more difficult when you lose a whole printer, for instance, and you yeah. have paper intensive class. Yeah. But it's ups and downs. You have to do the best you can and hope everyone realizes that. Well, hope everyone did realize past tense that it's it's challenging. You gotta you were trying to figure out a way of navigating things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole thing about like millennials and like not having printers, and it's like finally the opportunity for like that general generalization, generational gap to like you know close a little bit because now like you know um, what is it Gen Xers Gen Gen Z Gen Xers which one is it? me i don't know the generation before millennials anyways um yeah they're finally realizing that like we don't have the capacity to do paper-based at home um and it's it's for good good cause too because i do think that um having a paper-based system is highly inefficient and like oftentimes you're chasing down somebody for a signature right i've had so many instances in my professional career where like you know i'm trying to get like funding for certain things and like I'm missing a signature and then things get in, end up getting like delayed four to six weeks. Like you're not talking about like, you know, just peas and carrots here. You're talking about like, you know, big things. So yeah. I had a man, my initial manager at the start of the pandemic. I remember when we were planning stuff out and she, and they were saying that, Oh, we need to give everybody on your team printers from home so they can use the printers at home. And I'm like, why would you need the printers at home? If, um, the paperwork you're receiving needs to be physical from the office because then if you print anything at home, you can't do anything at home unless, well, the thing was, she was, she, they were suggesting that you could print off the paperwork you needed and then mail it out to clients that way. And I was thinking to myself, why would we want to drag printers home and then pay for postage theoretically by ourselves to send out mail? Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of weird and i mean that's just one of those things where you you start you try to think of a solution but it's not the correct solution or it's not the practical solution because i mean let's, let's be honest like lugging home like mouse keyboards or even a monitor like yeah that's practical because you're going to use them every day but lugging home a printer because you might need to print something on a rare occasion like that's not very practical you need to think of a bit better eye solution than everyone gets a printer at home yeah, it's like, have you never heard of a PDF before? <laughs> or even better, just send it to the person that's working in the office and ask them to print it on your behalf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, we had so many instances like that. And I'm really fortunate to have learned my role um, when it was already fully digital because I can't imagine for people who had to make that full transition like in, in that same role, Um well, I, I can, I, I did have that experience and it was painful and it was a lot of people just like running around and like, you know, the directive was just like different every single day. And now I, I think back to it, like, why did we, 
like in, in past jobs, like why did we have to print out all this stuff? And like, think about like the stacks and stacks of paper that like, if you make a mistake on one of the documents, you know, you, you've got to like throw out all the old stuff and then restart again. So that that's kind of, I'm glad that that's a practice that we, we have shifted away from hopefully as a, as a society. <laughs> yeah. Less, less printing better. I, I made the joke uh, initially because at my, at the, at my, previous, previous job, I spent like 50% of the time printing stuff and mailing it out. And I was really happy when I got my new job at the time, because I was telling people, oh, I can't wait to not print stuff and not mail it out anymore. And you know what? The first week I was uh, mailing out and printing out stuff again. So <laughs> luckily so far, this new job I'm at, I know I'm printing and mailing so far, but probably that's going to change. Yeah. Who knows? Right. Yeah. I, I remember um, in my team, we had to figure out we actually did end up having to mail out some physical copies of things because there are still people who, who want physical copies of, um, say, for example, like study guides that we have. Um, and uh, yeah, we were all like trying to figure out like, oh, like, when are you going into the office? Like, when am I going into the office? Like, how are we going to coordinate this? And we'd have to coordinate like six weeks ahead of when we needed those books to be like in the, the hands of our clients. And um, yeah, it was just so funny and we still do it. Thankfully, we, we kind of like figured out like maybe we just like need to have one person who has them like with them at home um, and then that'll make things easier. But uh, yeah, uh, there, there's, there's some stuff to be um, to figure out. So right now you, you're in your new job. Um, are you working from home most days or are you in the office? What's that like for you? I started out mainly in the office because I wanted to meet whoever was around and I want to sort of be in the setting where if someone was calling me. I could tell them I was in the office. I was doing this or I was that kind of cheating my way to looking productive. <laughs> but uh, after that, um, once I started picking up tasks, I just I kind of moved to home. I think my job asks people to try to do two days a week, but this week, especially, I'm trying to see if I can uh, sneak my way to just one day a week, uh, <laughs> just because, I mean, it's still nice to work from home, ideally, if possible. And I mean, if it's not a, rec if it's not a mandatory thing, then why not take advantage kind of mm -hmm. situation? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some advantages. I mean, we had that heat wave a little bit back and, you know, working in the office when there's air conditioning, that was major plus, but Fingers crossed, no more heat waves coming up. So would I'm totally fine with staying home after that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned that like um, productivity was something that like increased for you in some ways when you were working from home. Um, what, like, how would you say that you strike a balance between like being productive? Cause like, let's face it, you know, most people cannot spend, you know, eight hours of the day just working like your brain and your body and it just doesn't work like that. So um, like, what is it like for you to, to balance, you know, your productivity time, but also like your break time for your brain? I don't think I balance it. Honestly, I'm just going to be straight up. I don't balance it at all because I was thinking today, like I had lunch today. I ate my lunch and I came back. Normally I have an hour break now and but when I've been working at home, I would eat my lunch. I come back to my desk and I immediately start go back, going back on the email, start categorizing it, it trying to maximize my effort. So I think I'm the, I'm totally the wrong person to ask this question too, because I just, I'm, I'm all about min maxing. I need to maximize my efficiency so then I can maximize my slacktivity yeah. later on. Yeah. So. 
in that sense, I, like, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, um, it's funny because I think this work from home situation has shed a lot of light into how it doesn't make sense that we're like paid by the hour and that we are, um, yeah, like that, like our, our work depends on like the 40 hour work week. I, I feel, I don't know, you know, I might be shooting myself in the foot by saying this, but like I said, like, I don't think that any like normal person can like physically endure working that those types of hours. Um, whether you work in a work from home job or you work in, you know, a job that's that's more labor intensive, whatever that is, like nobody can just like be productive for that amount of time and like be like that. That is a sustainable kind of way to do things. I think as humans, like we have limited attention spans, and like anybody who tells you that they can like you know be in deep focus for eight hours is like either you know like some sort of superhuman or you know they're seeking some assistance from some aids you know, like, you know, some concentration aids, Let, let's just put it like that. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's really possible to, to be able to, to focus that to that degree. And so, yeah, like going back to that, like, I think that the pandemic has really just shown us that it doesn't make sense to expect the same thing from people, um, you know, in the fall. I think that the nature of work is is going to change and will continue to change quite a lot. And to me, like returning to normal or like, you know, the phase four of the return to work plan in BC or whatever, it's like, I'm curious to know how that's going to work out for a lot of people who have been working living this work from home life and like how that's going to stack up against the the expectations of their work, which really largely have not changed. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I kind of disagree with the notion that um, people, it's hard for people. Well, okay. You raised two points, but I, I like two possibilities of how people can work like eight hours in a row, like nonstop. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the third one. The third option is that, and Hopefully nobody that I've worked with in a high position listens to this podcast and realizes it's me, first of all. But um, if your job is giving you too much work and then also giving you the deadlines that you still need to meet, yeah, then yeah, you, you, you have the new onus where you suddenly need to make sure you work all eight of those hours because if you don't work those eight hours efficiently and effectively, then suddenly you're going overtime. And then you don't want to work overtime, but then you don't want to ditch everything to the next day. So then you got to work late. Mm-hmm. So, um, cause I do know from a couple of people I talked to where they worked pretty crazy hours late into the night, way past like the, the eight hour part of it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's even like, if you, if, even if you account for breaks and whatnot in the middle, but they still kept going because they knew they had to get the job done or get those particular tasks done. Mm-hmm. or else their team is screwed, they're personally screwed, or um, they're just going to fall too far behind where something else is going to fall by the wayside. So, I mean, that's kind of like the third possibility I want to throw out that like, there's like the inequities of how much some employers are asking mm-hmm. employees to do beforehand, because that's not a sudden transli- transition. It's just more of a realization now where you can't really push things off. And it's also harder to ask your coworkers now because everyone's facing those same challenges, technological or just transitioning from physical to digital or from office to work from home. Like they can't really help you pick up the slack as much. And mm-hmm. once again, I hope nobody that uh, is a higher authority over me uh, at one of my 
employment now or future listens to this and no, I think, I, just said. I, I think you make a really good point, which is that like, in all honesty, there are roles out there and there are employers out there who have really high expectations of their employees. And um, what goes hand in hand with that is not a lot of job security. So like people who are feeling overworked and feeling overwhelmed feel like also probably feel like their position is off, quite often threatened um, by, you know, a perception that they're not productive enough or that they're not um, effective enough in their role. So that's something that also I think needs to be addressed um, in, in this changing and evolving work culture. I would love to see, you know, more recognition that of the work and life divide and, you know, shifting, shifting things so that people don't feel overworked um, that people aren't overworked, not just that they don't feel overworked, um, and that um, they, people can be feel comfortable saying, like, I'm, I'm just at capacity right now. And my goodness, like, with, I've been watching, like, so many, like, millennial, like, TikToks and, like, all this stuff about, like, how to tell your employer that you're overworked and things like that. And I imagine, like, people who are watching these videos, like thinking like, oh, that would be really nice to say that, but I'm like too afraid to admit that to my employer. I'm too afraid to like stand up for myself in the workplace. Well, you're asking, you're barking the wrong tree up for TikToks, as you know, I'm, I'm dead on social media anyway. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what any of this is talking about, but I mean, yeah, I did have that frank conversation with my boss one time. One of my bosses, I mean, unfortunately yeah. in this is an example, it was the one time I went up to talk to him because I was, I was quitting and I was complaining to him about everything else, right? So <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big extreme. But yeah, even then, like, it was pretty hard to, like, walk in and tell him I was quitting because um, for me, it felt like I was laying them down or that I yeah. also was disappointing myself. I didn't meet my own expectations. Like, yeah, it's kind of hard in that sense because you, I mean, you will find a way to try to rationalize to yourself why you shouldn't complain about things or why you shouldn't point out that things are going wrong. You'll, I think people are just inclined to find ways to, um, try to avoid that and then try to fix it without actually fixing the issue that's been realized initially. Yeah, I have, I have been in a situation where I felt, I, I, uh, I guess we're going off on a bit of a tangent and this is not pandemic related, but I have been in a situation where I felt um, afraid I guess it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, it was probably a, a combination of fear and like apprehension in approaching like a supervisor with my concerns of the way that things were, were being done. And um, when I think back to it, like I, I could see in myself, like that situation where I brought up my concern and, you know, my supervisor justified why things were being done the way that they were. But I knew deep down, I'm like, you're talking to me, but I really disagree with what you're saying. And I don't think that things should be done this way. But for some reason there was like this, I don't know, maybe it was cowardice that like kicked in. And I felt like I felt tongue tied. I felt like I couldn't, um, I couldn't continue with the conversation. I didn't know what else to say to make her, um, believe me and like see my my point of view um yeah so that the, I guess that ties into kind of what you're saying and that there's that fear element of fear of letting down and fear of also not being accepted by the person who is supposed to supervise you and you know tell you what to do and has to hold a, a good 
good opinion of you in their head. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, even then, like there are like pandemic issues where suddenly you might realize there's, um, because everyone's changing the way they work, you might realize someone is, isn't actually doing things in a proper way or in a coherent way. And then you kind of want to point it out, but then you still don't know how to do it. Like, I think one person I was working with, I kind of realized that a small issue that I thought was evident when we were working together in the office became a big issue because suddenly we were working from home. You, you don't know when things are going to pop up, basically. And mm -hmm. I mean, pandemic's definitely a good backdrop to show as an exhibit of when things can change. And <laughs> that's both for the better and for the bad. Yeah. The, what, what are the buzzwords? Unprecedented. Um, and then the other day I was like listening to a town hall and uh, they, they mentioned um, changing moving goalposts uh, as, as a, a metaphor to explain, you know, um, and that just like triggered me because like I've heard that saying before and I'm very much so a person who's like, don't change the goalposts because by the time I get there and I realize that the goalpost has changed, it's too late for me to change my trajectory. So like, don't change the goalpost without telling me. Um, but yeah, maybe that's like, uh, you know, just, just highlighting the fact that like, maybe I'm not so great with change. Maybe like I need to go back to my little hovel and like mull that over a little bit and like work on some of those life skills and like be more resilient, but I don't know. Yeah. Everyone's kind of resilient to change. And this is a pretty big change in the last year and four months. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to believe that it's been over a year living like this. Like, how do you feel about things like going back to normal like what what what's your take on on how things are going right now it's kind of weird for me because i think as i mentioned earlier i still went to the office throughout the pandemic so like things didn't really change that much for me honestly besides like like the days of work from home but i mean i still worked in the office i still went downtown all the time um the prospect of already going back to the office like that doesn't really phase me at all i kind of like the office now a bit more i'm sure i'll change my mind again when it kind of sucks to work in the office but <laughs> i mean going back to the office itself, like that doesn't really daunt me at all. I mean, the other thing I said was not being able to see people. Obviously that's going to be a big boon where I can see people again, because it's weird to just do your own thing all the time. I mean, I'm used to doing my own thing. I've definitely gone to movies by myself. I've gone dinner by myself in restaurants. Like I'm not afraid of that stuff, but doing it consistently where like you're at the point where you don't hang out with people and it's actually somewhat daunting to think about hanging out with people yeah it's pretty weird mm -hmm. so i mean hopefully that's an easier transition i mean it should be a fruitful transition because ideally you are seeing people that you want to see again it's not a yeah. case of yeah you're suddenly meeting a whole bunch of new strangers all over again like that'd be really really weird and that'd be really really difficult but yeah thing you're supposed to you're ideally meeting people you like yes that's true ideally you're meeting people that you actually enjoy the company of my question for you is, so you are single and ready to mingle. <laughs> what has it been like to, um, how has the pandemic changed the way that you try to get to know people? It's kind of weird to say, right? Because I mean, admittedly, I'm not the most successful person on dating apps before the pandemic. Like 
I'm sure some people might listen to this and it'll resonate with them, but I'm one of those few guys where I match with like one person a month. And then maybe like out of those, like one person a month, maybe over the course of a year, two of them will talk to you. And then maybe out of the two, maybe one of them will have like a substantial conversation with you over like over a normal year. Right. So it's kind of already hard to do just online dating by itself. And obviously because you can't go out, you really can't run into people and then run into them consistently and maybe decide you want to ask them out. So, I mean, that's already a non-factor, but online dating, because that doesn't seem like the thing that a lot of people try to get into. I guess it was like slightly better because more people were there, more people started to match with you just because I think everyone was a bit lonely and they were just kind of taking Hail Marys, right? I think not trying to go on a huge online dating tangent, but it is kind of a market when you go on there, like you just look at what's available and like, I guess an analogy is when you go to the store, when you go to the fruit section, you look for the best fruit available that you want, right? If you want, if you want lemons, you want like the nicest looking lemons, what the, what the blemishes, and you go to the watermelon section, you look for the biggest watermelons that have the most hollow sounds, right? And when you go for the apples, right? You don't want the apples with the bruises or not, or not right? You're looking for the best, right? The, the, the point being here that when a grocery lesson or like, oh. <laughs> it's more, it's more, it's more the point being that when you go on online dating, like you're looking for the person that has matches all the ideals that you want to have. And if they don't check off all the check marks on your list, then you might move on, right? This is, I'm talking about pre-pandemic here where if it's not perfect for you, then you're not going to take that chance. Whereas I think with the pandemic and then people suddenly becoming lonely, they're willing to take those, those chances on talking to more people because for myself, I definitely had more matches. I definitely had more conversations, which was shocking. I mean, nothing really happened still for me anyway, because another story there is that it's hard to just get people to meet when there's a virus out there that you might get sick catching. But it was either to meet, either it was easier to match with people and it was easier to talk to. But that was like, the major change I noticed because I definitely did just talk to more people overall. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like at home and they're like, oh, swipe, swipe, swipe. I think a lot of people probably just wanted people to talk to and wanted to connect with people. Um, and I find on online dating is a, is a way that they, that people can get that like immediate gratification that immediate gratification from like getting attention from someone what do you mean immediate gratification i i have to wait a month to get a match (laughs) no i don't mean i mean like generally right because like the the whole like tinder what is it swipe right swipe does the swiping like it actually does trigger the reward center in your brain and like that's why people get addicted to like online dating and they're like always on like tinder for example like they actually get addicted to that feeling yeah, I know what you mean. It's like it's a dopamine, right? It's like the it's yes. the positive reinforcement. Yeah, I, I get I get that. Yeah. It's I was talking to someone else and like they were saying how um they got bored and like their go-to is to go on a dating app and just start looking at guys and then swiping left, swiping right. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally fair because um I guess not just on in regards to online dating, but because you're bored, you might be just looking for things that are fun to do or give you that positive reinforcement feeling. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like online dating, but I told you this pr- privately before, but like I started buying a lot of trading cards and like opening cards and like looking at what I got. Like that was my positive reinforcement. I kept, yeah. I kept buying stuff. Right. And like, yeah, it's not a form of gambling, honestly. Right. But no, no, no. It's just... But because like you 
because people in general, like you might be isolating yourself more than normal. And like, if you don't have like those people that are close to you in the sense that you're living together and whatnot, then mm -hmm. you might be still looking for that instant gratification. And for me in a sense, like it wasn't online dating. I'm sure some people was online dating, just matching and talking to people frequently. For me, it was opening trading cards. That was my instant <laughs> gratification. Your, your instant gratification is just so wholesome and so cute. <laughs> Yeah, it's all cute until you look at the budget I spend on okay, it. Okay, so. don't tell me about don't, that because I'll yeah, probably don't lecture about you about it. <laughs> yeah, don't ask me about it. Um, no, I feel you. My my instant gratification thing is um, having like checkboxes. So either they're like checkboxes on paper or they're checkboxes on like my phone. And I'll put like the stupidest things on my to-do list, like make lunch or like get up or like you know, brush your teeth and like, I'll put things like that on my to-do list. And I'll, when I take them off, like, I know, I know what I'm doing to like the reward center in my brain. And I'm just like flooding myself with dopamine. Cause I'm like, I don't feel so great today. I think I need something to motivate me. So I'm like, yeah, that's my thing. Um, little, little sick and little twisted, but, uh, it works. It gets me to do things. It gets uh, things done. So yeah, <laughs> my little tip to anybody who's like, you know, dealing with issues of motivation, get that to-do list, trick your brain. <laughs> so I have um, three closing questions that I ask every single person on this podcast. And uh, these are just questions. We can answer them rapid fire or we can discuss them in greater detail. Um, but yeah, question one is, uh, what is one thing during the pandemic that has brought you unexpected joy? I think you're probably going to say trading cards. <laughs> does that have to be unexpected joy or does it can just be expected joy? It can be expected joy. Yeah. I don't know why I asked that, but no, actually there is a better question. There's a better answer than trading cards. Uh, I, okay. Before pandemic, I would always struggle on Netflix to find stuff to watch. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because you're, you're, fa you're faced with that um, struggle of uh, deciding to, choose to watch something and i mean that's eventually why i got rid of netflix because i couldn't afford to pay nine dollars a month uh, to not decide what to watch all night but i started finding aircraft or air crash documentaries to watch and that was really fun to watch mm. because there's so much science and there's so much to learn about it because i mean you don't really think about it because when you hear about air crashes like you just think like someone screwed up or something bad happened yeah. or like hijacking and stuff but when you actually unveil everything there's so much detail i think <laughs> it was pretty it was un, it was an unexpected surprise for me because i got really really into it mm -hmm. just like the level of mystery and the level of detail that some investigations got mm. i think overall like i'm not saying i love watching airplanes crash and then watching documentaries on them but it was more just real remembering that um that exploration feeling of learning something new because it's it was akin to going back to school and doing research on a subject you don't really know about and then finding interesting points i definitely wouldn't be finding those videos on air crash documentaries if i didn't have too much time on my hands doing nothing <laughs> i guess so thanks pandemic um I've heard of people like getting really into like all the other documentaries, all the other trash that's on Netflix, but like air crash, airplane crash documentaries is definitely one I have not heard of before. <laughs> there's no, there's legitimately no conspiracy theories here, by the way. It's legitimately like actual investigations into why it's why like happened. what happened, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like, oh, it's not like that. It was not like, what was it? The Malaysian aircraft that disappeared. Like, oh, what if it got sucked into the black hole? Like, no, no, no. Like they, they don't, they don't make these on 
ones where they can't figure it out. They make these on the ones where they figured it out and they tell you like, this is what happened. This is why it happened. And it's, it's the full complete picture. It's not like I, I'm just going to throw a dart at the wall and think I'm correct. <laughs> oh, you with your analogies. Very nice. Um, if you could go back in time to before the pandemic started, what would you tell your former self? Invest in GameStop. <laughs> or AMC. I mean, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the easy one, right? Because you, you want to make some money out of this if you're going to sit at home all year and, I mean, get a side gig or something, right? But uh, yeah. I guess, seriously, if I could tell myself something, probably get that Netflix account again. Like, I, uh, I don't really think there's anything I would go back and tell myself because I kind of do feel like I, I handled it for the most part okay. I think there was, like, a handful of moments where I was kind of not handling it okay, but those came to pass and more often than not I was okay with myself mm -hmm. I don't not saying it was perfect but I think like optimistically like if you were if you had like a was a 13 month long uh issue like this going on and out of the 13 months you can strongly say you had five times you had issues then you'd probably take that yeah yeah I always um, view these questions of like going back in the time as like, why would you want to do that? You know, like, why would you want to relive a pretty tough time in your life? And like, I don't know. I don't know why I ask this question. Let's just put it out there. I mean, honestly, like I've been thinking about that question a lot recently. And it's like, if I could go back to like, right after I graduated high school, what do I do? I would invest in Bitcoin because then it'd make my life a heck of a lot easier. Right. Like that's, that's the type of thing I would posit right now, but obviously like making money, like that's not, that's not the point of those questions. Okay. And the last question is, the, the second actual question is, uh, what hopes do you have for the state of the world one year from now? Sustainable future, um, acknowledgement of indig Indigenous rights, uh, race wars stop because we suddenly decide it's not cool. I mean, we suddenly all agree it's not cool to treat people wrongly. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't really have anything that... Um, I think like everyone kind of has the same sort of like idealistic goals if you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I could pick something, then maybe just financial literacy, just because I'm pretty big reading about financial stuff in the pandemic and how people don't really know how finances work. Like, obviously, like, I'm not saying this is like the most important issue in the world, but I think a lot of people would be better served if they knew how to handle finances better because... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly didn't do a great job. I kind of spent too much when my first year with a job and then I've been doing better since. And like, even now, like I was looking at my budget today and I was kind of a little bit appalled at how much I spent. So I've kind of set new goals for myself. So that's probably something more realistic than, you know, world peace, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, financial literacy is definitely a really important piece and you know, there's some systemic issues that kind of go alongside that, uh, that we also need to address, like, you know, incoming inequality and the social determinants of health and, you know, the cycle of poverty and stuff. We need to address some of those things for sure. Um, but financial literacy is definitely a really good place to start, especially for people who don't have a lot of money. Knowing how to manage a little bit of money is um, really key to being able to manage a lot of money. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Financial literacy, that's a first. I haven't heard that one yet on the podcast. <laughs> Probably the last time you're hearing it. <laughs> no, I'll ask you this again. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Anson, for joining me on my podcast. It's been a real hoot to have shared some uh, 
interesting ideas with you. And thanks again. And we'll see you maybe next time, next season. Thanks for having me on. I I will wait to see when I'm back. I don't know if you're inviting me back anytime soon. But <laughs> I'll be I'll be ready for it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to episode four of Can I Take My Mask Off? I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I have enjoyed putting together this series of conversations. I hope to be taking a break from podcasting for the next little while as I figure out my next creative project. I also hope that by listening to this podcast, you have found comfort in knowing that you share a common experience with not only just a handful of people, but also with an entire community. I welcome you to leave me a comment on my Instagram to let me know what topics you would like me to cover in possible upcoming episodes. You can find me at Can I Take My Mask Off podcast. Until next time, stay safe and be kind.